Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, folks. I hope everyone is rocking and rolling. I tell you what, I don't know if it could get more beautiful down here in Florida today. It is so magnificent. And today we are finishing, well, we're one day away from finishing the Little Red Book of Wisdom by Mark DeMoss. And I tell you what, I, I am truly, I, I'm truly excited about it be, because this book, if you've been with us, truly has opened our eyes in some areas of different parts of our life whether it was like yesterday drinking to how we interact with people to how we interact with ourselves it um i don't even know i i've so many nuggets i'm looking through my notes you know and and i'm just amazed at how how this little book a simple little book that a man writes about his life things that he's learned can impact so many different areas. I mean, that's the cool thing, I think, about RealMentorsRadio.com, is that through all of the different readers, writers, everybody that we talk with, there's something new. Now, next week, we're going to take a little shift. You know, the last three or four books have been strictly on, I, I guess we could say, personal empowerment, leadership strategies, credibility, integrity. Next week, I'm going to start a series because I've had this request and I decided we would do it here because one of my good friends, Darren Falter, has just released a brand, it's an updated version of his book, How to Select a Network Marketing Company, Six Keys to Scrutinizing, Comparing, and Selecting a Million-Dollar Home-Based Business. Now, 50,000 copies of this book has been sold in seven countries. And I want to take a shift because there's so many people right now entering into a home-based business. I believe this is important. What I want you all to realize, those that have been hanging out with us saying, man, we just love this stuff, inside of this book, I'm going to be covering still major areas about personal development, personal empowerment, leadership skills. All of that is written inside of this book as you come to find out, and me too, what it is we got to do to build it right. Matter of fact, here's one here, here, right here. This will give you an idea of what's inside this book, the heart of the matter. I mean, this is going to be a great book. I want you to be on the radio show next week. If you really are serious about understanding what it takes to build a business, even if you decide network marketing is not for you, I strongly suggest you check it out. It's going to be phenomenal. Today, we are inside of, a, of a, what I think is the one of the greatest chapters, and, I, and I've loved them all, but this is another thing, a few more thoughts. And what made this so important to me, I, that isn't even the right word, what made it so relevant to me is the fact that I could relate. I'm finding out that, that Art DeMoss raised his son... A lot like my mom and dad raised me. And that's what makes this so fun. Listen to this. This is from Barbara uh, Touchman. Books are the carriers of civilization. Without books, history is silent, literature is dumb, science crippled, 
thought and speculation at a standstill. Now, obviously books are delivered a little different these days. We're using electronic devices, the Kindle, the iPad, you know, etc. But you know, there's not a there's not a better feeling to me anyway than having a good book in my hand, sitting out by the pool on a Sunday afternoon, reading. When I go on an airplane, I don't I don't get out my iPad. I like to get out a book. So although I've got a dozen or so books on my iPad that I'm reading, there's nothing better than getting a good book. And I've got some first editions. Matter of fact, my daddy used to go to auctions all the time, and one of the greatest gifts he gave me, I have it sitting right here on my desk, is a first edition of three of the scrolls of Ogmandinos, one of the greatest salesmen ever. And and I just love those. See, good books. Good books are hard to come by nowadays. But let's get into it. What is it? It says, finally, here's four more simple principles that have had an impact in my life. I can attest that the power of each of these thoughts far exceed the space I devoted for the discussion. Each of these four, I will guarantee you, more than likely, you're going to be able to relate to. Number one. The people you meet, the books you read. Said the late Charles Tremendous Jones, and if you guys don't know who he is, he's another great businessman and speaker, was a business star turned author and and speaker who left audiences with roughly five times more energy than they arrived with. He and my father had already become friends when I met him purely by chance during the summer I sold books door to door. That afternoon of that happy incident, I lingered in his living room far too long for any sales call. But those who knew Charles knew him as one of the world's most accomplished salesmen will smile to know that he bought one of everything I had to sell. See, that's the cool thing right there. Charles Tremendous Jones understood that the people that he came in contact with that were making sales were already having enough rejection that he was always there to buy something. But listen to what Mark writes. He says, of, the, of this remarkable man's many evergreen phrases, one rooted deeply in me. You will be the same person in five years as you are today, except for the people you meet and the books you read. I want to stop right there for a minute. In the last five years... Have you really changed except for the people that you've met and the books you've read? See, that's what changes us. Science has already proven by the age of 18 we're pretty much the way we are. But the books we read and the people you meet. Tom Hopp has personally mentored me going on two years. This guy gets paid $10,000 as a keynote speaker. $5,000 if he does just a breakout session. When people come to one of his training classes that he holds, they pay somewhere in the neighborhood of $1,000 for the weekend before hotels, travel, etc. And he charges me nothing to mentor me on a weekly basis. I am a product of the people I've met and the books that I've read. Richard Brooke gets paid somewhere, I think, in the neighborhood of $25,000 as a keynote speaker. 
at the I, all I have to do is text him, and he will very quickly, when he's done doing what he's doing, call me back and say, "How can I help?" He has called me from his ranch on a Saturday morning when he should be out on his boat to say, "I just want to know how you and Paige are doing." I am the product of the people that I've met and the books that I've read. In the last two years alone, I've read close to 200 books. That doesn't count the fiction books that I read. If I add in those fiction books, that's probably another 25 or 30 westerns and romances that my wife have written that I've read. We are the product of the people we meet and the books that we read. How many times, you you that, that call yourselves Christians, here's a prime example. How many times have you read the whole Bible? How many times have you just read the New Testament maybe, or just the Old Testament? This This was a powerful phrase. And you may be saying, Troy, it's easy for you and Mark. I mean, you guys are in the people business. You do this public relations thing. You know, people send you books. It doesn't cost you anything. I spend close to $1,000 a year. Actually, if I add in the CDs and the DVDs, it's, it's way over that. But just in books a year, $1,000 a year. In books that I buy that authors haven't sent me. By the way, that is a tax deduction. It's cool. But listen to some other people. Don't just take my word for it. Pat Williams, Senior Vice President of NBA Orlando Magic, tells his audiences that reading five books in one category makes you an expert on that topic. I have read close to 30 books on social media, search engine optimization, Internet marketing, etc., I've probably read twice that many books on network marketing. I've read over 500 books throughout my life from about the age of 17 till now on leadership, integrity, credibility. I'm here to tell you I am not an expert on any of those things. But I can tell you this, I know a lot more than what I used to. My life has changed based on the people that I've met and the books that I've read. Warren Buffett says by the age of 11, he had read every book on the subject of investing in the Omaha Public Library. Today, he's a billionaire 45 times over. He's worth, his net worth, after he pays off if he owns any debt, he's worth $45 billion. The stock, his A share stock sells for over 100000 His B shares, I think, is up to $10,000. Here's what happened in my life so that you understand why I'm such a a fanatic about this, not just Mark. About the age of seven, if I'm not mistaken, it was the last... No, no, it might have been a little younger than that because I never got to see Charlie's Angels, and from what I hear, Farrah Fawcett was a knockout. But my mom decided we were not going to have a TV in our house, so she pitched it. Greatest thing probably ever happened. Some of my greatest Christmases was because her and my dad had time to build toys for us, let alone buy them from the store. I mean, it never failed that we had handcrafted stuff and we had store-bought stuff. I started reading books at age five or six. 
from the time I went all through my elementary and into my, my, my junior high years, that's what we call middle school today, never had a TV, but I won award after award after award because I would read 20 books a week at the library. My little brother's the same. Now, my little brother used his knowledge a lot different than I did and went on to accelerate in academics, academics and all that crap. I didn't, I didn't do that. I decided to go out and do something with my hands, so a little bit of each. But it's amazing to me how not having the TV made a difference. Now, we've got TVs in our house. We've got computers like everybody else. It's the 21st century. My kids still love to read. Tessa went to the bookstore the other day and paid about 45 50 bucks on books. JT, before he reached the age of 16, was reading at a college level. Has read some of the most enlightening books I've ever seen. It's amazing. Here's the second phrase. See, you guys thought you were going to go away easy. we still got three more. After midnight. This used to piss me off to no end. My mama all the time. There's nothing you can do before midnight. That, I mean, nothing you do after midnight that you can't do before midnight. Shoot. I'm telling you, there was a lot of things after midnight I could do that I couldn't do before midnight because everybody was awake before midnight, which was the point. I just didn't didn't get it. Mark writes this. Once during college, I arranged to spend the night at my older sister's townhouse in order to stay out late beyond school's curfew. Sometime after midnight, I eased through her front door and slipped into her guest room, unaware that she had waited up to hear me safely in. The next morning over late breakfast, she said in passing that what we do after midnight generally accomplishes little good and often causes great harm. She's absolutely right. I tell my kids all the time, we've always had the curfews, even with the boys. You need to be home by midnight. Now, two twofold for that. One, pager I1 don't, don't have a problem staying up till midnight to make sure they get home okay. But the second is because... None of the trouble that I ever got in happened before midnight, ever. Everybody's rocking, everybody's running around, everybody's partying, you know, all the cool stuff. I'm out on a date, the girl didn't have to be home till midnight, so everything was cool. There were many, many nights I'd go out, we'd drop the girls off at their houses, and then the boys got together, and we went on a freaking rampage. I mean, it just, I remember the first time I got drunk. It was after midnight. We'd already dropped our girlfriends off at the house. Now, here, here go. You know, my, my mom would probably be calling me later saying, you're grounded because I didn't know it then. But we got we dropped the girls off. It had been a great night. We had fun. We used to have a drive-in theater in Kansas City. It was called the 40 Highway Drive-In. And during our teen years, when, I, when we were young, they showed family movies. When we all became teens, they showed porn movies. I don't, you know, I don't know how they got away with that because here they are. There's, I mean, you could just sit in the woods and watch a porn show. But that night, we all drove into the movie theater. We were going to watch Linda Lovelace or something because it had been filmed in Kansas City. And the dumbest thing we ever saw, because once we got in there, we realized how they showed the movies because they covered up all the stuff that you wanted to see with one of those black lines. So it kind of sucked anyway. It was a waste of money. But it was the first night I got drunk. I'm 14 years old. you got to understand, I am not. My mom and dad loved my friends. Their mom and dads were like deacons in the church. Boy, did I learn a lesson. But we're out partying. I'm drinking Bacardi 151, and i got to go pee. So I said, guys, let me out of the car. Now, I am like floating on air by this time. 
and I'm running because I know I'm going to pee my pants if I can't get to the bathroom. So I'm running to the bathroom. I get right to the bathroom, and don't ask me how it happened. I know I was aiming at the door, but the door moved, and I hit the freaking wall just head on. Bam, I'm on my back. I learned a lesson that night, too. I hated being drunk. It was like a really freaky feeling, so that never happened again. I had a headache the next day. But I realized what my mom was saying was true. After midnight, you get in trouble. Whatever you're going to do, you can do before midnight, and you can get your butt home. I learned that lesson. I can tell you that when my mom and dad went to sleep and I'd sneak out, it was after midnight. Every time my little brother got in trouble, it was after midnight. You want to know the only good thing that ever happened to me after midnight? As a bail bondsman and a bounty hunter, I knew that after midnight, most people were drunk, most people had let their guard down, most people were chilling. It was easy for us to go inside and handcuff somebody and bring their butt out and put them in jail. See, I used the reverse. I already knew that bad things happened after midnight because I'd already been there, so now I used it to my advantage made a lot of money doing that. The third phrase, I'm sorry. Not I'm sorry, but I'm sorry. Let me share a story that Mark shares in here. He says in the in the prefix uh, or in the, in the preface, uh, one of her books on etiquette, former White House protocol expert Lieta Baldridge describes a glaring blunder that she oriented at President Kennedy's first White House function. It was for a media event. She set up bars in all four corners. Now listen. This was the first Sunday in history that the White House served alcohol. We're talking about the 1960s. It's on a Sunday. You can't even buy alcohol on a Sunday, and she set up four bars. It was the kind of gap that newspaper headlines loved. President Kennedy was publicly chastised on his first weekend in office. Guess what happens? The first Monday morning, the president called in Mrs. Bald- Miss Baldridge at the time, called her into the overall, over office, and called her on the carpet. Did the champion of good judgment defend herself, push back, attack her critics, say she'd made she was made the scapegoat, plead ignorance? No. She apologized from the heart. President Kennedy looked up and said, Thank you. I just wanted to know that you were sorry. You don't think the words, I'm sorry, mean anything. Let me share a little life experience. I have somebody that became my best friend. There were, I mean, there were, there were almost four years where I saw more of him on a daily basis than I saw the rest of my family. We traveled this nation. We worked hard hours to build his business. I learned amazing things from him. But one day our paths changed. He went one way and I went the other. He felt very betrayed, very angry. As the years went by... Some other things happened, and I wrote an article about something that had happened to his family. He took great offense to that. Lamb blasted me publicly, threatened to beat me to no end, 
It was awful. One day I'm sitting in Harbor Docks. He'd moved away from the area, and he comes strolling in the door. In the same loud voice that he had used on the Internet, throughout the restaurant called me everything in the book, things that you would never want your family to hear in public, he's yelling. He got done and said, what do you have to say for yourself? And I'm paraphrasing, but, but basically, what do you have to say? I said, would you like to sit down and have breakfast? I'll buy. He put his briefcase in the chair and he sat down. For an hour, he ate and lamb blasted me over and over and over. Shared with me what he wanted to happen, and I explained that that wasn't going to happen. We got done, and he said, what do you have to say? I said, after listening to you for the last hour and a half, two hours, I want to apologize for hurting you. It was never my intention. I was wrong. I apologize. He said, I accept your apology, and we'll just see how things go. We've not talked since. That was a rough morning for me. He said some things that hurt, some things that were truthful, and a bunch of things that just made no sense. But he was right. And I apologized. When I've gotten in problems with Paige, I'm sorry works. Now, I want you to know that I've abused this. And and I've done it knowing that I was abusing it and doing it intentionally. But every now and then on my blogs, if you read through these comments or, or you see some videos, you'll see where I have used the term or the phrase, well, I'm sorry if I offended you. See, I, I'm sorry that they were offended. I'm not sorry for what I wrote. Sometimes when you're doing an op-ed and you're presenting the facts, they're the facts. And if somebody's offended by the facts, probably they have something to be offended by. So I have abused that. But when I'm speaking from the heart, as I did not too long ago when a mentor of mine and somebody that I respect thought I had said something about them publicly that was degrading. I did a video, and I publicly apologized to Rod Cook, who taught me a lot about how to investigate scams in this business. And I said, I am so sorry, Rod, if I have said anything to anybody that would, would hurt you, would harm you, and Marcy, I, I look at them as, as, as like my, my second mom and dad in network marketing. I mean, they've taught me so much. you have to use the words, I'm sorry. I've taken it a step further with Paige. When I know that I have hurt her deeply in her heart, I've got me just a, I got a little tub, kind of cool beachy on the outside, and I will go and I will put really warm water in there and some of that cool bath salts that smells so good, and, and I will wash her feet. She will sit above me and I will be on the floor washing her feet, apologizing what I've done. I stole that from Jesus, by the way. It's important to me. It should be important to you. You'd be amazed at how you can turn the tides with saying, I'm sorry. A small voice, a small apology can change the wrath 
of critics, of your own fans, your children, your spouse. You know, I'm one of the few guys. I never got in a fisticuff with my dad. I have literally been in knockdown, dragout fights with all well, two of my three boys. My oldest son is not. I don't think he's he's. I don't think he's at a point where he thinks he can take me. My other two, because they were around me more, they really did think they could take me. They thought that I had taught them enough that they could whip my butt. We've got into it. I remember the first one was with Dalton, and he he literally, I will tell you right now, based on something that I had said, he had the right. And he knew that because I raised him that way, and boy, he did. He, He decked me. Then I we got into it. Mama shows up. Of course, anytime you're you know, mama shows up and you're doing something to her boys, you know, Katie barred the door. So Dalton and I get done. You wanna know what happens? Here's what happens. This is how I love this boy. We both storm out of here in our pickup trucks. Notice that we both have pickup trucks. We both cruise down ninety eight, we hit the beach. He actually sitting at one end of the parking lot and I'm at the other. We got a lot in common. JT one night, same thing. Now, he had it a little different because when he slugged me and I went down, Dalton was in the room and there was no reason for him to hit me, and Dalton and him and got into it, and then I had to separate them. That was another crazy thing. I'm telling you, you guys, you listen to my radio show, I hide nothing. JT takes off, I take off. Here's the Here's what happens. All three of us at one time or another came back, gave each other big hugs and said, I am sorry. Not I am sorry, but not I am sorry you deserved. I am sorry. I am best friends with my boys. This is what happens when you say I'm sorry. The last phrase may be the one that's the most important and the one that we have the hardest time with. Don't worry. Remember the old song, Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry. If you're a Christian and you worry all the time, it's a freaking sin. You're breaking the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and now you're worrying about what? Stuff you can't control? I can I can yell at you. I do it all the time. So trust me, I know where you're coming from. And if you're if you're not a Christian and you just freaking worry, why the heck are you doing that? Science has already proven if you worry, you'll worry yourself right into an early grave. Heart attack, stress, blood pressure, getting fat, not being fat enough. I mean, all this freaking stuff we worry about. Why? Here's what Mark wrote. When I finally learned to relinquish personal responsibility for everything beyond my control, the ship of my emotions entered calm waters. Stop it. If you can't control the situation, which happens about 95% of the time on things that we worry about, then don't worry about them. What are you going to do? You can't change it. Oh, my gosh, the economy's falling apart. Well, you can't change it. You can work on it. You can help people get out of that, that hole if you've got a business. Oh, my gosh, President Obama. Well, you can't change it, so why are you worrying about it? Oh, my gosh, the Republicans. Well, you can't change it. I mean, you can go vote, but you know what I mean. If it's beyond your control, stop 
worrying about it. It's not your responsibility. Now, I want you to listen up. Some of you may be sitting here right now saying, now, I just disagree with you. Uh, my, my, my children, they need me. With, without me, you know, they, they get sick, they get tired. Or, or some of you that are, you've got spouses. Okay, you, you, I see this all the time. Well, he won't do this. Well, she won't do this. Well, the doctor told me to have them do this. Well, they're supposed to eat this. Well, they're supposed to drink that. Stop it. It's not your responsibility to worry about it. It's your responsibility to do the best that you can do and leave the rest of it, if you're a Christian, in the hands of God. And if you're not a Christian, then leave it in the hands of whoever you believe in. But you've got to stop. These four phrases today can change your life. If nothing else in this whole series, those will change your life. I love it. I'll give you another little bitty one as we close. And this is how Mark wrote it, and I've read the book. He says, my father-in-law wrote a bestseller called All You Can Do Is All You Can Do, But All You Can Do Is Enough. He said, I love that title. You see, we can't control the rain. We can only put out the umbrella. We can't control a harsh word levied at us. We can only return a soft answer. There's a reason that people worldwide commit prayer to memory. This prayer, God, give us grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish one from another. Folks, thanks for hanging out with me. Be back here tomorrow as we end this book, Wisest Decision Anyone Can Ever Make, Answering the And Then What Question. Live life like it's an epic adventure. I'll see you at the top. Be back here tomorrow morning for RealMentorsRadio.com.